by C4P Muscle Productions and Entertainment, the number one drug-free athlete sponsorship foundation in the world. Now, I want you to grab a friend, turn the volume up a bit, lean in, and listen to the show where all the athletes want to talk. Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in tonight to Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. I apologize in advance. I've been sick the last week, so my voice is a little bit gone right now. Um, but we should be should have a go, good show lined up for you guys tonight. So, again, as always, this show is brought to you by P4P Muscle, the number one drug-free sponsorship in the world. If you're interested in being a drug-free athlete or just looking for the best drug-free uh, supplements on the planet, that represent a drug-free lifestyle, check out P4P Muscle at P4PMuscle.com. And if you find anything on there that you like or want to try, you can always use my promo code MELINDA. It's M-E-L-I-N-D-A for 15% off. So uh, tonight we're talking about college football, recruiting, academics, performance, and possibly going pro. I want to take this show in a little bit different of a direction. I want to get away from bodybuilding and CrossFit and all the training shows that I've done and kind of go out on a limb here and try something different. So uh, what a lot of people don't know about me, uh, if you follow me online, is that I was a Division One athlete uh, at the University of Maine. I played softball there for four years, and I met some fantastic athletes while I was there, and three of them I just happened to have on the show tonight with me who have gone on to d- uh, do amazing things after playing Division One college football. So uh, I have Matt King with me here. He's the Director of Speed and Athletic Performance at Columbia University. Um, I also have Jeremy Kelly, uh, who is currently an exercise specialist at a training facility in Buffalo. He's also a free agent right now. And I have Ron Wickham, who is a quarterback coach for Old Dominion Football Program. And I'm going to let these guys go ahead and introduce themselves. And um, they have so much going on in their lives. So, Matt, why don't we go ahead and start off with you? Perfect. Sounds good. Well, first of all, I want to uh, thank you, Melinda, uh, for giving me the opportunity to be on this show. But, um, you know, it's uh, playing and then playing with these guys, Jeremy and Ron also at Maine. You know, we had some good times up there. And, you know, I'll just talk about my journey, basically. Um, you know, I originally from Massachusetts, um, went to high school in Stowe, Mass, outside of Boston, and, uh, you know, had um, had the opportunity to um, – go to the University of Maine. Um, so it was the University of Maine over Northeastern and UMass and, you know, it was it was the best decision I ever made in terms of going to college and playing you know, I have an opportunity to, to, to play football at the division one level and, you know, um and grow as a poor, a person more importantly, you know, I, it uh definitely afforded me, you know, it was, it was nice in the fact that, you know, obviously you gotta get a scholarship to pay for school. So that was taken care of and then, you know, you get to play football at the highest level. Um you know, in those four years, I was there from 2002 to 2006. Uh, my senior year, um, 2006, you know, I ended up uh, having a pretty decent season. Uh, you know, had All-American honors, and then from there uh, went on and went to went, went to uh, sign with the New York Jets originally. Um, was in camp with them for a little bit, then was cut, then was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers for a little bit, was cut from there, so... My my journey in, in professional sports really wasn't what I wanted it to be. I ended up going and playing uh play arena ball for a little bit in the uh, arena football league, a team called the Georgia Force. Um then I played uh in Canada for a little bit with a team called the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um played arena two football for a while and a team in New Hampshire called the Manchester Wolves. And in between all those tra- all those times that I was in camp and whatnot and cut release um, I was tra- working training athletes. It was something that, you know, I really, you know, took liking to uh, during my time in the, like, during my time pre-draft training. I trained at a facility called Velocity in in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in Roswell, Georgia, um, under a guy named Lawrence Seagrave. And you know, I, it was it was funny. I was like, you know, this this is something that I could see myself um, as a career. You know, after football, I'm like. You know, I can I can just train people and you, and you get paid to train people. Like, that's that's crazy to me. So I was, you know picked his brain a lot and you know just working out all day. You fall in love with it. You know it's the process. So ended up uh, ended up getting an opportunity. Got a call from 
Jack Cosgrove, the head football coach at the University of Maine, and got an opportunity to, you know, come back up and um, be an assistant. wasn't going to pay me a lot, but it was going to be a start in terms of uh, working at the college level. Because I knew eventually, um, you know, I liked working, doing the private facility thing. Or, you know, I was working at a facility in Foxborough, Mass. So I'm at a velocity there running it. And it just wasn't fulfilling. And, you know, I, I wanted to work uh, – with 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 high level athletes, so to say, and and and, and on a consistent year round basis, and that was um that was that was that was my uh, that was my forte. So I ended up going up to University of Maine, and then uh, spent three years there as an assistant, and then after um, my three years uh, there, as a, excuse me, I spent two a year as an assistant, and then two years as the, as the head strength coach. Um, and after that, I, I got an opportunity last spring to uh, actually come up and come down to New York City and work at Columbia University as uh, they ended up, you know, having a whole new staff. And got a call from a guy who was a former defensive coordinator at, at Maine, Paul Farrar. You know, he told me that there was an opening on the staff, and um, the rest is history. I came down, and, you know, I, I, the, the staff was great, you know, guys that they, they had, and, and, I, and I could see myself working with the kids. You know, I, we were, I, where I'm at right now, I'm not gonna lie, I work with a different type of kid than I that I had when I was at, at Maine. Um and, and, and you know, the Ivy League's a unique it's a unique league, it's a unique conference, non scholarship. So I'm learning a lot too. You know, I'm 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 definitely growing still and and, and it's 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 exciting and, and the fact that, you know, you got we've we've got different kids and it's a, it's a struggle. This team hasn't won a game in, in three years and this past fall we had our first win in three years. So um that was great and that's that's pretty much where I'm at right now in my career. Oh, that's awesome. That's quite a journey, and I can't wait to pick your brain later on about so much of what mm-hmm. you just said. But before we go there, Jeremy, why don't you quickly introduce yourself to everybody? Sure thing, Melinda. Thank you um, again for having us on. Like Matt said, um, it's always a great opportunity to share some knowledge and experience. Uh, you know, these three, these other two guys that I've played with, um, they've they've done it. They've been around it all. So as far as recruiting, as far as the process goes of becoming a Division One athlete. Uh, they're going to be able to give some knowledge and experience to these guys. But uh, myself, uh, born and raised out of Buffalo, New York, um, wasn't really highly recruited out of high school, ended up uh, getting some offers late and uh, really, uh, I guess you could say, caught, uh, built a name for myself to some degree after receiving a scholarship from, from Chip Kelly University of New Hampshire, who was number one in the country at the time. But uh, like these other two guys, I chose the University of Maine. It was a special place. Uh, went to Maine, had a had a, I would say, a, somewhat of a subpar career there, but it didn't stop me. It kind of propelled me for the, for the next level. Um, it prepared me for the process and what it was going to entail. So I went on. I came out 2011, which was the lockout year, and went on to uh, receive a contract to play in the CFL, spent some time up there like Matt, bounced around arena for a little bit uh, until I received my first NFL contract. And I've been with uh, three different teams thus far, Indianapolis Colts, Chicago Bears, uh, and Denver Broncos. Uh, but uh, So it's been quite the journey as well, but it's all embraced and it's all good. Uh, I would say uh, it led me back to Buffalo where I'm at right now. <coughs> Currently a free agent, but uh, been in negotiations with the past couple weeks with, with the team, and it looks like uh, a deal is going to get done. I won't release that to you guys just yet until it is done, but it's been great, so I'm looking forward to it. While I'm here, like Matt, I've been I've been training athletes really since college. Uh, my father was a, a kind of a premier trainer and somewhat of a guru in the Buffalo area, training the athletes uh, with the likes of the Gronkowski brothers. We all grew up training together. Mike Williams, who was the number one NFL uh, draft pick, uh, James Starks, who's a Super Bowl running back for the Green Bay Packers. Um, the list goes on. So I came up in a home of of training athletes and and productive Division One players. I've been around it, surrounded from high school to college and pro, and um, I grew a liking for it. So right now I'm an exercise specialist here in Buffalo, New York, and I thoroughly enjoy what I do. So um, that's that's about it right there. Awesome, Ron. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself before we get going with the show? Appreciate it. Uh, right now, uh, like I said, I'm the assistant head coach and quarterbacks coach at Old Dominion University. We're a Division One FBS school down in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, was lucky enough to play with Matt and Jeremy uh, 
had a real fun career, really enjoyed myself at Maine. Like those two guys said, it's a unique opportunity you get when you get to go play up there. And uh, right out of school, I think uh, two days after I got done playing at the University of Maine, I got offered the uh, quarterback coaching job down in uh, Virginia Beach at Old Dominion. And uh, the unique situation down there was they did not have football. We were starting the program from scratch. So we did that in 2007, played our first season in 2009, and we've been 57-27 and cents, sold out every single game we've ever played. And uh, I've had two quarterbacks in program history, one's playing in in the CFL currently, and my quarterback last year is playing for the Minnesota Vikings. So, had some pretty good quarterbacks at Old Dominion, and uh, it's, it's been a ton of fun. So, uh, I'm excited to be on the show and listen to everything we got to say today. Thank you guys for being here and taking the time out of your busy schedules to talk with us. And I think where I really want to start the show is. Um, you know, kids that are just entering high school, and I can kind of relate to this because I have a stepson who's going into his freshman year next year. They kind of want to know when they start getting looked at. Like, when do when do schools, whether it be Division three to Division one, when do you guys really start looking at athletes? What year do you really start tracking them? And and because um, there's probably some kids listening in right now that are very curious. I'm gonna let Ron speak on that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, the first thing I would say is it's very sport-specific. Um, you know, my sister, for example, played Division One lacrosse at Hofstra. You know, I know sports like lacrosse and, uh, you know, some of the Olympic sports that Matt probably trains and deal with. Um, some of those kids get offered and, you know, commit to colleges as you know, soon as their freshman, sophomore year. Football is probably the latest in the game. Um, you know, we probably start – kind of tracking kids their sophomore year. We'll make verbal offers, um, you know, in kids' junior years. And then, you know, by the time they're kind of getting ready for the summer, heading into their senior year, they've probably already decided where they're going to school most times. So I would say about the time they're a sophomore, you know, if they're a, if they're kind of a quote-unquote primetime player, they should, you know, start getting some some interest hearing from some college coaches. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, when you um, – yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so I was going to – yeah, obviously agree. As, as Ron pointed out, it varies from sport to sport. I know um, from when we were being recruited, you know, early uh, 2000s, or mid-2000s, uh, it's changed much different now. You know, um, I think coaches have much more access to athletes uh, being across the country, it doesn't matter where they're at these days with social media and the development of the Internet and everything else. So it makes recruiting much easier, I think. Now you see, uh, for example, you know, uh, software like Huddle and, yep. and whatnot. We're allowed to see film from these athletes that, you know, a coach or maybe in a, a school in Texas but can watch a kid throughout a season in uh, New York. You know, here in the state of New York, uh, as Ron knows, we have a very short football season. So, by the time these big universities will go see Dallas, by the time they'll go see, you know, schools in California and Florida, by the time they get to New York, um, season is already wrapped up, you know, when kids are really getting into the prime and, and state championships and all those things. So um, you're a bit behind the eight ball in certain parts of the country, but nowadays I think it's changed uh, with everything that's, that's accessible and kids can watch their highlight tapes on their phones these days. Uh, you know, we were we back then we were copying VHS tapes. So, um, <laughs> as they said, uh, I was just going to say you know, we had to make yeah. VHS. It was awful. <laughs> yes, and it took hours. You know, um, I can speak on behalf right now, though. Uh, have a have a little brother who plays. He's a freshman playing varsity basketball. He's been playing varsity since eighth grade, um, and he's pretty good. And he's already been contacted by schools as Buffalo, uh, coach from Oregon. But that's because of camps that are out there so um you know in basketball is a sport where you see kids getting verbal offers as ron said in the eighth grade you know um little these coaches know that that kid might not grow but their skills are so developed at that level but again that's why it's a verbal offer so uh it varies from sport to sport but i think ron was right in the sense that he said about around sophomore year um is usually the point where you really see a kid start to mature and develop physically where you can kind of tell engage you know where will he be at three four years down the road Definitely. I remember I mean, I also, those VHS I, I, I would say, um, you know, and another thing that's, that's crazy nowadays is a lot of kids will uh, reclassify in basketball. You see that happen a lot. 
um, where they'll basically stay back a year, you know, to gain a year without having mm-hmm. to do a postgraduate year. And um, because the postgraduate year was big, I, 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 when we were growing up, as the postgraduate year they would just start to pop up, and then you got a lot of schools in East Coast that are strictly postgrad only now, um, that just that's carry postgrad. But what kids will do instead of doing that postgrad year to hide it, they'll reclassify it. Yeah, they'll stay back their freshman year, their sophomore year, and basically do five years of high school. Um, and, and, and nobody, nobody knows. It's just they, they did their five years of high school, but they still. Um, was able to compete in the in their sports and whatnot. Well, they graduate by the time. I think a lot of states have rules where you know if you turn 19 um, before September so 1st of your senior year, you have to get a waiver to compete. I know it was like that in Massachusetts, but um, to, to to prevent kids from doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember back. I mean, I remember those damn VHS tapes. I'll tell you that those were miserable because they had no way. The only way I was even I was actually recruited to Maine when I was out in Colorado at a tournament and a recruiting camp out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a completely different story back then. But you know, I think for softball wise. And I don't know how they're doing it now for softball, but for softball, I didn't start. I was starting to get letters my freshman year, uh, but nothing serious came until after sophomore year into junior year. But um, it's a completely different story now. And even youth football uses Huddle, which is very cool. My stepson uses that program. They use it for watching film, even in youth football, which is awesome. But um, kind of moving on from that, let's let's talk about grades and SAT scores and all that fun stuff that goes into it. You know, you could have a fantastic athlete. Um, and I know Matt, it might be a little bit different for you guys with Ivy League, but how mm-hmm. much do grade how much do grades matter? You got a fantastic athlete, phenomenal on the field, but they're barely pulling like a two point oh GPA. I mean, what happens? And how much does well, that matter in the recruiting process? Let me just say when I got here to the Ivy League um eight months ago, that was the first thing that, you know, struck me is I would we would I would sit in the, the film room with the football staff and we watch film on kids and I'd be like, hey, he's perfect. You know, starting like, when, when are we going to offer this kid? Because when we say offer in the Ivy League, we're offering them a mission spot. And then we have what we call bands in terms of, you know, we have a certain amount of bands allotted every year. So uh, there's bands one through four. And basically a band one kid is a kid that would need uh, football to get into school, uh, whereas a band four kid is a kid that could probably get in on his own. And, and you know, I would see a kid, like, hey, sign him up. Hey, he doesn't have the grades. You know, it's like, their their ceiling is so high. Like you have to score almost a third a third or higher on the on the, on the uh, ACT, and you know the GPA has to be at a certain point, and you know and and we don't have a scholarship. So if it's a kid that you know his family makes just enough money that he wouldn't get a lot of financial aid, he's probably can't even afford to come to the Ivy. You know, so um, the definitely the grades uh, make make a huge difference here. Um, but I mean, in speaking on behalf of when my experience getting recruited by me, I took the ACT three, SAT excuse me, three times, and um, you know I, I the, the, they had the, slide, the sliding scale or whatnot, and you know I think on the sliding scale I just made it based off my GPA and, and my SAT, and, and and that's how Maine's able to get kids in, um, in the fact that you know they, they're they're it's, it's different in terms of that you know with, with the scholarships and whatnot. Ron, you, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Ron, I'm going to throw you in there. Really, when I, you know, there's probably 100 days out of the year that I'm, you know, on the road in hotels, going into high schools, um, meeting coaches, meeting with kids. And the first thing that I ask from, from a coach or from a kid is, you know, for his SAT score, ACT score, and first transcript. And that's going to eliminate probably 50% of the guys that um, – you know, I'm not even going to watch the film. It's a waste of my time. So mm-hmm. it's the first thing that we look at uh, at Old Dominion. You know, Matt alluded to the fact that uh, if kids that are listening right now or parents that are listening right now don't know, there's very specific guidelines on what allows you to be an NCAA athlete. Um, it's clearly listed on their website, and it's specific to each individual school. So in A, uh, at Jeremy Kelly's high school isn't necessarily an A at my high school or Matt's mm-hmm. high school. It, it, mm-hmm. the, the, the grading scales can be different, and the uh, and the 
and the and the challenges to become qualified have gotten harder. They just last year, you know, made it a little bit more difficult to qualify. Um, you know, it's not it's not just a two point oh anymore. They moved it up to a two point three. Um, you know, I know the SAT has changed a couple of times. It's good. The SAT format is changing. Uh, it just changed in January, so uh, there's no more three-part anymore. So there's just some different things that people have to be aware of when they're looking at trying to be recruited. But pretty much for every Division One school, we all have the same rules. You know, if, a, if a guy is not going to get it done academically, they can't play at our level. You know, the, the higher the academic institution as far as prestige, you know, obviously Matt's dealing with the Ivy League, it makes it tougher. Uh, for schools like Maine who, you know, might have a little bit more relaxed, you know, guidelines, they might be able to get kids in late. But like Matt said, a guy like Matt King who was an All-American at Maine, you know, that might have been the difference between him going to a school like Boston College in Maine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it ended up working out for Matt. It ends up working out for, you know, there's probably half of the NFL is probably guys that either went to 1AA or junior colleges and things of that nature. But it's the reason why they're there because of the academic situation. So, um, you know, guys just need to understand that, you know, schools like Alabama, Auburn, you know, they're going to get the best players and the best grades. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can uh, add in on that. You know, one of the hardest things uh, that I've ever witnessed was a childhood best friend of mine. Uh, he was just a monster at linebacker. We played football together senior year. He had a great, great year. And, um Youngstown State was a university that was coming to recruit me, and I had they had offered me, and uh, off of watching my film, they saw they saw him, and they decided they wanted to offer him a scholarship, but couldn't touch him because of his grades. And uh, being that it was one of my best friends, uh, it hurt me, you know. And I was like, and I was always on him about his grades because I knew he could do it. I knew he was good enough, and I knew schools were going to come calling. And when it came down to it, uh, he couldn't get a scholarship, and it was the difference between going to a four-year Division One university receiving a scholarship for, you know, $160,000 over the course of four years to, you know, bouncing around at junior colleges at home, you know, trying to figure out where you're going in life and those type of things. So uh, academics are absolutely imperative, and it's it's a must. It must be, uh, it must be considered, and it's got to be paid attention to. Without a doubt, if you want a scholarship coming straight out without having to go the long the long route, as I say, um, you know, I saw at Maine, I saw it a lot when I uh, with basketball. Um, you know, we get junior college kids where you know as you don't have to qualify as a JUCO. You know, you you can go to a junior college and and as long as you receive your AA your associates in in, in two years, then you can transfer to a four year school. Without having to even take the SAT, ACT, as long as you have your AA, so kids will go. That's the long route, so to say, in, in football and basketball, is where you go through your two years at JUCO and then and then you transfer to a four year. Um, but you know, it, it, or or also you know, there's the there's the prep school route, like I was talking about earlier. Um, but if you want to get a scholarship coming straight out, yeah, best to best to have your you know make sure you 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 learn about the clearinghouse early, and and you know where you stand with the clearinghouse and and your eligibility. Um, from get, um, being able to get recruited and, and receive a Division One scholarship, and Division Two guidelines are obviously different from Division One as well. It's not it's not the same. So, and Division Three doesn't have clearinghouse at all. So, I mean, you can go play D three sports without having to qualify, so to say. Yeah, and just I mean to give people an idea of how competitive it is that are listening in. And again, different sports have different ways of recruiting and different guidelines, but, you know, I was being recruited by a few Division One schools, and I graduated, I want to say, I graduated high school with like a 3.8 or 3.9 out of 4.0 GPA. I scored pretty well on my SATs, and I, I graduated, you know, honor society and all that, and I still wasn't being looked at. I originally was really looking into BC and BU. My grades at that level still were not up to par to get me into those schools at that point in time. Um, so, you know, because the competition is so high that if you have girls that are coming in with 4.0s graduating in the top 10 of their class and they're good athletes, they're the ones that they're going to take. It depends on the the level of academics of the school that you're, that you're looking into, but it's super competitive. Um, and again, you're going against the best and the brightest in the country. So it, you know, you have to be on par and, um, I didn't. I didn't even get a full scholarship plan. I got seventy-five percent 
um, covered for ath- um, ath- athletics to Maine, and the other 25% came from an academic scholarship. So sometimes schools can it can help you out financially as well if they don't have all the ac- uh, athletic money to give you. They can sometimes substitute with some academic money for you um, to help get you there, you know, financially without having to pay a dime. So it's worth it. It's worth keeping your grades up. It's definitely important. And going off of recruiting into just being in college, you know, I had friends in college. And, again, I went to the University of Maine. It was a state school. I wasn't in Harvard. I wasn't in Yale. We had kids that got kicked off. They have full scholarship athletes. They got kicked out of school and off the team because they could not make a certain grade point average. So you lose. I mean, you lose everything. So um, can you guys talk on, you know, the expectations of the kids when they're in school and then also kind of add in the traveling and the practice schedule that your athletes or you as, you know, athletes faced and how hard it is to kind of manage all that time? Anyone can I will say, start with I will one. say, like, we're working – when I went back to Maine as a, as a strength coach, I had the opportunity to work with all every team pretty much there. Um, and – the, you can see how, depending on what season your sport is, like I would say the winter sports teams get it the worst in terms of juggling the practice schedule with the class schedule, with the game schedule, um, you know, the basketballs, hockey, uh, those te- and, and, uh, basket basketballs and hockey, so to say, those, those winter sports teams, because they're on the road, they have games in the middle of the week. Um, with football, you don't see it that much. You know, we, we travel on a Friday play on a Saturday and come back Saturday night after the game. So you don't really miss a lot of class. You'll miss a Friday class here and there, but you're not really missing a lot of class. And when you travel, you're traveling usually on a charter plane, you know. So um, whereas with the basketball, they're on a bus all over the country usually. And, or, you know, if they're flying, they're still they're start usually charter and they're flying commercial all over the place. So um, depending on where you're at. And, you know, those kids are the ones that have to juggle – that crazy balance of a schedule and what they do, what they do a lot of times is, you know, they'll have to proctor, you have to proctor test on the road and, you know, do, you, you have to, they may have to take a test early before you leave to go to a game or take a test. You know, some, most of the time it's before you leave. Um, you know, some te- some professors are lenient and you let you take them after you get back. But, you know, just playing those winter sports, I feel like are the worst in terms of playing a catch up game um, with, with their academics and trying to balance and juggle. <clears throat> yeah, I'll weigh in on that. Uh, Matt's right. You know, uh, as he said, for for football, and I can speak on. You know, we're we're uh, definitely probably have it the easiest, but that's not to say that it's easy by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a collegiate athlete, a student athlete, having a social life, having your academics, and having your athletics, uh, they all need to be well balanced. One thing cannot you know, oversee the others or receive uh, that much more attention, really, you know, exceedingly, because otherwise it's going to be a problem, Uh, especially social life. You know, if you get caught up in a lot of things, it's college lifestyle. A lot of things will be thrown at you, a lot of opportunities to get involved in things that can corrupt athletics and academics. So, um, and, you know, you're going to be a college kid. It's just what it is. First time away from home, perhaps, Um, you know, you're surrounded by your teammates and, and, and whatnot. Uh, you want to do what they're doing, you know, you want that camaraderie, which is good, but when it comes down to it, why are you at school for the degree, you know, for athletics, whatever it may be. Um, some people, there are some athletes at the University of Maine that, uh, and this kind of struck my mind, uh, this kind of threw me back a little bit. When I, I, well, I thought when you got a scholarship to go and play somewhere, you wanted to take that and go pro with it. And um, when I got to school, I didn't, I found out that not everybody wanted that. And that kind of took me back a little bit. And I remember having a conversation with one of my teammates for that. He had a scholarship because he received one. Uh, he didn't have any ambitions to continue on. But, you know, I respected that. He was there for school and he took advantage of that. And that was awesome. Um, but if you take in a scholarship and you get there and you lose sight of one of those two things as far as athletics and academics and you start focusing on social life, you're going to find, end up, you know, like Melinda said, either find yourself off the team or find yourself completely kicked out of the university. Mm-hmm. And it's not worth it. It's not. School no, you, is cannot, too you can't throw 200 expensive. grand down the drain. No, 
No, and that's really what you're doing, you know, because for, for softball, unlike football, there's a lot less opportunities to go pro after. I mean, you can play overseas. I think I was talking to a team from Italy, and there's there's small opportunities like that unless you go to the Olympics, which is far and few in between. But, you know, I looked at it as I liked playing and I loved my teammates, but I'm like, this is a job. You know, i got to mm-hmm. take it seriously because this is – causing me to come out of school with no loans, you know, where everyone's mm-hmm. struggling to pay their student loans. I'm coming out with like a, a, de- a degree and a fresh start and I don't owe a dime, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you're struggling and you're partying and we all did it and so did I, and I had a blast, but you got to look at it at the end of the day is like, this is my job. I'm being paid to perform and I'm being paid to get the grades to be on the field and do not, don't throw away that money. It's totally not worth it. I had a couple of friends that, they got kicked off, uh, no names mentioned, and, and they had to pay for school. You know, they got into other schools, and they had to pay. And it's like it's it's not worth it. But uh, I kind of cut everyone up. Ron, did you want to add anything into that one? Yeah, just uh, probably the one thing that those guys didn't really touch on is I, when you are a student athlete, really at any Division One school, there's so many resources that are available to you. Um, you know, in our program, you know, we have – tutors that are free for our players, uh, pretty much any resource that you could imagine um, our football players get, you know, free of charge and really during when their free time is. So um, there are so many advantages that you have as a, you know, scholarship athlete at the Division One level that you can take advantage of. And if you can just do the things that Matt and Jeremy were talking about, just, you know, have a little perspective and just kind of keep everything in its own lane. You're going to have a ton of success. You just can't let, you know, you know, athletics or, you know, your social life just take over completely so that you lose sight of the academics. Yeah. So in a nutshell, you really have no excuse to fail in college. Well, that was something that's, that was always said, well, you have no excuse, like you said, especially as a division one athlete. We have so many <laughs> checkpoints and barriers. Exactly. And guys, you guys check in all the time. You got <laughs> academic advisors, athletic advisors. You got um, tutors. There's so many people looking out for you. It's almost like a fail-safe. If you fail, it's your own fault almost, you know, like you tried to fail, so to say. No, there's that's so many absolutely people that true. Looking yeah. out for you, you know? There really is, and teachers are really willing to be lenient as far as, for the most part, you know, taking mm-hmm. a test, pushing a test off, pushing a paper off. I had teachers that mm-hmm. would allow me to push a paper off if I had to travel, you know, because being at Maine, our travel was never small travel because we were in the middle of nowhere compared to most of the other schools we were traveling to. So it was always, you know, a very long bus trip or a plane flight. And a lot of the teachers were very, you know, as long as, you know, you were friendly and nice and you got good grades and they saw you were trying, they're willing to work with you. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of hard to fail, but you know, college being away from your parents for the first time, having some fun parties, it's easy to get get caught off guard, but got to keep it in check. Um mm-hmm. so I want to touch on uh the college visits when kids come to visit a school that they're being recruited <laughs> to. Which can be a little crazy. I never really had a college visit. I kind of just signed super early to my school, and I never really went up and looked at it or anything because I I just took the deal and went with it. But I definitely remember some of my teammates coming in on their college visits and some of the craziness. So uh, why don't you touch on, uh, for kids listening in that are being recruited, things to do and things to definitely not do on your college visits. I mean, first off, like, I remember the first time, uh, you know, I even got offered by Maine. I had, you know, preconceived notions. First of all, I had no idea that Maine even had a football team. And then I had preconceived notions about the state because, you know, it's it's kind of like the north. It's, even though I'm from Boston, you know, you think about Maine, it's like what is what is up there. You know, I had these preconceived notions. So I was like, you know, you got to – I had to just put in my head of those. And then when I got up there, it was – totally 180 from what I thought it was. The people, you know, what you want to do is, is when you go on a visit, make sure that you're able to, you can see yourself immersed in that situation. You can see yourself, because the people you want to spend the most amount of time with are your strength coach, myself, your, obviously your position coach, your head coach, 
your academic advisor, you know, your athletic trainers, your equipment manager. Those are the type of people that you want to know, see that you can get along with, the, the staff, those people. And then the team. I mean, is it a clicky team? Is it is it a team where it's a family? And I know Jeremy and Ron will both say, like, when you call, take it, if you're a kid thinking about going to a school and you come on your visit to Maine, it's a family environment. That's one thing people will always say. And, and, and could you see yourself immersing that family, so to say, and, and that that was what got me in, in terms of coming to Maine. Is I, I came up there and, and it was total opposite of what I thought it was going to be. It was the last visit I took, and you know I had the best time of my life. And and it was like it was one big family. It didn't matter where guys were from, you know, north, south, east, west, white, black. It didn't matter. Like everybody just got along. Everybody was cool, and it was it was just we were like brothers, you know. Yeah, I would uh, I would say. As far as taking visits, uh, you know, we can't speak for every school, every university around the country, every college. Uh, I think a lot of them are very different. Um, you know, having gone pro and, you know, having teammates from all over the country, uh, you hear a lot of different stories, but in, in a sense, they're all the same. Uh, but um, as Matt said, speaking from my own experiences uh, up at the University of Maine, and I wonder if, if, if you know, we're really Matt and Ron um, – I, I would I would bet your experience is probably similar to mine, even though, you know, they were seniors. They were both seniors when I was a freshman. But uh, the biggest thing I would say not to get caught up in is um, all the superficial stuff. You know, coaches are going to bring you in. They're going to try to sell their program and keep that in mind. But is it the best fit for you? Uh, you know, a team may have a new coach saying that it's going to be this system and this system, um, but does that fit you? Uh, they might tell you that you have a new field. They might tell you that they're getting new jerseys. They might tell you that they have a new sponsorship and this and that. See through all that, all the glitz and glamour, and is it the right university for you educationally? Do they have your major? Um, athletically, as as Melinda said or as, as Matt said, I'm sorry, um, You know, do these people fit with your personality? Can you see yourself being there for four or five years? That's the biggest thing I think athletes get caught up in is the fact that uh, – you know, they're either going to a school for a name or, you know, the facilities and, the you know, oh, this school's got a better weight room than that one. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And we can tell you that <laughs> we were we were in an old rifle range getting in our work, and we probably had some of the strongest individuals in the United States. But, um, you know, and as Matt said, that was the, the, the camaraderie of the team was absolutely the number one reason uh, that I chose the University of Maine as I got up there. Uh, I seen how close the team was. And I think it was because of the locations, kind of remote location. And as an athlete, and it doesn't matter what sport you played, you knew uh, who the athletes were on campus. And you guys kind of all stuck together. And that's just kind of how it was. Um, and I'm sure it's a lot of the same ways that other athletic departments because you spend your whole day in the field house or in the weight room or whatnot. Um, so you know, avoid, you know, you're going to go out, you're going to have, you're going to have fun and they're going to show you the best time of your life coming to college because they're trying to get you. They value you uh, as a recruit, but do your best to keep that perspective again and don't get caught up in, in all the hoopla and everything surrounding signing day and, and whatnot. Um, pick the best situation for you. Those guys had it right in the head. <laughs> I wouldn't really add much to that. <laughs> so they 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 got it all there for you. Yeah, that, yeah, no, they got um, it all. They got it all. They got they did it all. I um I think I went on one recruiting visit to a school in New York. It was a D two school, and I I just didn't you know I just I couldn't picture myself there. I didn't feel at home when I went, and that was actually the only school I went on a recruiting visit to. So thankfully, I liked Maine when I got up there because I'd never been there before. But um. It was a good time, uh, and it was definitely the same thing as we had girls from all over the country. We had we had some girls from Maine, but other than that, we had girls from all. We had girls as far away as Hawaii on our team. So uh, you know, and there's you're in Maine, we're in Bangor. I mean, it's there's not a ton to do. There's not a ton of places to travel, and you were with your team 24/7 anyway. And I can definitely speak that I felt. You know, I have lifelong friends that I made in college that were in my wedding recently. So. Uh, it's an awesome experience. Um, yeah, I would say, Maine, the reason you, why it makes it yeah. unique, too, is, like, it's a destination point. You don't pass through it is. Uh, 
Bangor on the way to anywhere. On the, on the way to on the way to Nova Scotia or no, no, New Brunswick, excuse me, on the way to New Brunswick, <laughs> you pass through it. But if you're not going to Brunswick, you're not passing through Bangor. You know, the no. destination spot. Yeah, no, definitely. What um, if you guys could go back and change anything about college or you know after college or anything you did athletically or academically? Is there anything? that you'd go back and change or any advice you have, you know, based on your experiences? Hmm. I don't know. I think that, hmm. like, in terms of what the, um, you know, I, 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 somebody actually, actually, actually asked me this recently, and you know, I think I would have taken more advantage of, like, done more. We did a lot in the community. I feel like I would have done more in the community and then more like uh I would have tried to do like more internships and stuff to get more like work related experience, you know, not knowing that I was going to play because mm-hmm. you can't play football forever, you know. So doing more of you know getting getting out and and, and doing internships and doing stuff like that. Ron, I'll let you jump the mic, man. I kind of I kind of took the last one. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, I I think Jeremy and Matt would probably agree. I don't think I take anything back as far as, you know, you know, our experience or um, you know, what all three of us accomplished at the University of Maine. Uh it, it was a fun situation. Um I think anytime you can look back though, I agree with Matt. Um any university uh has an endless amount of opportunities, you know, for you to connect with different people, um where you can explore different careers. You know, I, we talk to guys that we recruit all the time. You know, 50% of guys changes their major at least one time, if not two times. So, you know, mm-hmm. get involved in the community. You know, meet different mm-hmm. business people in the area that your school's in. And uh, the more people you talk to and get to know at that university, you're going to kind of develop, you know, your passion for what you want to do later in life because it's, it's going to be go beyond athletics. And, uh, you know, you know, Matt and Jeremy have, you know, both found their niche, you know, through that. And, you know, the more you can explore, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be doing something you love in life. And that's probably the key to, you know, happiness post-college career. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, personally, don't know if I would uh, change anything, you know, even as I look back, um, as I stated earlier, didn't have on that, on the playing field, uh, the most uh, accomplished career at the University of Maine, but um, what I was afforded through the program, um, I wouldn't change it in, in a second. Uh, I would go there and um, and serve all those four or five years over again, uh, because intangibly, what you get out of being through hard times, and this is at any school, any university, um, everywhere you go, you know, you <laughs> as as recruits, uh, you will be. Praised, you will be glorified. But once you step on campus uh, during that first day of camp or whatever, you know you're just everybody else. So um, you know, as I said earlier, don't get caught up in all those things, but uh, take advantage during your time there um, of the good and bad to grow. Take advantage, as Ron said, to talk to people on campus, to get involved in programs. I think that's one thing that I did well while during my time at the University of Maine was I got involved in things outside of athletics. Um, and as they stated, that's going to help you find who you are as a person. That's going to lead you to your strengths, lead you to your passions uh, outside of college because it will go quick. And when it sneaks up on you and you're getting ready to graduate, your parents are going to be looking at you saying, you're not coming back to the couch. So, <laughs> uh, pre- you know, so prepare yourself during your time there. I think uh, that's something that a lot of – I think that should start really in high school. Um, pre-college is preparing yourself, you know, giving yourself ideas of what it is you do want to do. And then you kind of narrow it down as you get into college. You know, as Ron said, 50% of student athletes would change their major. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but you'll save yourself a lot of time and a lot of credits uh, if you can kind of narrow it down before you do get there. It's it's tough to ask an 18-year-old kid, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Like pick a degree, mm-hmm. let's go. Because your interests change. I mean, I'm not I'm not using my degree at all. I even got my masters right after school. I'm not even using my masters. I'm going back for another masters. It's like I didn't figure out what I wanted to do until like now when I'm pushing thirty. It's tough to find, to you know, hey, what do you want to do? Let's pick it now. You know, take yeah. that time. That's really good advice. Definitely get involved and maybe just talk to 
um, academic advisors from different departments and take some extra elective classes. You have a bunch of uh, extra classes you can take, especially your freshman year. Um, give different things a try, even if you're not sure, because it might, be, might spark an interest. And kind of uh, going off that, you know, a lot of kids that go into college, especially probably in football, a lot less with the sport that I was playing, but they do have dreams of going pro. Um, kind of quickly, I know Matt and Jeremy, what was your experience like coming out of college and, and you know, trying to get on the pro field? I mean, I we talked a little bit about it earlier, but do you want to kind of lay that out for people listening in? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is that it ain't, it's not, it's not what you see on TV is not what it, you got, it's a job. And guys sometimes lose, I, I you know, I, I fall myself, I think I even lost track of that at, at, at some point, like, it's at that point, you know, those that locker room dynamic changes when you get to that next level. You're not going to be you're that team that, you know, your team you see today might not be the same team you see tomorrow. Guys get shuffled around all the time at the professional level and, and professional football at that. It's a unique sport in that no contract is guaranteed except for your, obviously, your signing bonus. So, you know, you could sign today, be gone tomorrow, and it's just, it's, um, you have to basically you're fighting for your job on an everyday basis, regardless of what your contract is. Now, obviously, the guys that are in Jeremy Otis, guys that are first round guys, so to say, they get those extra mistakes. They get you know maybe drop a ball here and there, or, or miss a tackle here and there, or mess up a coverage. But the guy who's on the fringe, the small school guy, doesn't get that opportunity. You know, so just make sure you you got that mindset that you know you're. There's there's nothing there's nothing guaranteed um, in, in professional football, um, so to say. And then I'll, I'll let Jeremy speak on the rest of it because he's he's had a, he's had a pretty good pretty good run so far. So, well, um, yeah. So you know, as far as collegiate and pro athletics vary, like Matt said, you could be there today and gone tomorrow. Um, but the biggest thing is your mentality. It's something that's yeah. going to be developed prior to you getting there. Uh, mm-hmm. Some guys get it late. Some guys, it may take them during their pro years to earn it uh, or to learn it, I should say. Um, and those guys are most likely, <laughs> if they are given that time, they're probably draft picks or, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever it may be. Um, but otherwise, the guys that come in and get it quick are usually the guys that have been doing and practicing those habits since college. And mm-hmm. that was uh, that's something I think helped me. Um, regardless of what it was, I always approached things as if I was going to be a pro. And um, that was just something that was kind of instilled in me. I was lucky enough to have somebody in my life that uh, led me on that path. But if that is what you aspire, you know, aspire to do as a collegiate athlete, you have to instill those those qualities and those characteristics early. It's not something that comes overnight, and it's not just going to happen once you start training for pro day. By that time, it's too late. And if it do start by that time and you're blessed enough to be that talented, then, you know, kudos to you. But make it easy on yourself and start to practice those things early. And as I said, it's about perspective, keeping that in mind early because it's going to – it doesn't just transfer over into a pro. The guys that you see uh, getting in trouble in college and doing these things and living a certain lifestyle transfers into them as a pro. And when you get there, now it's on TV. Now it comes across the ESPN ticker. Now it comes across people's mobile phones day in and day out. And those are the things that are going to keep cost you millions of dollars. We can use Johnny Manziel for example, um, you know. And and I don't know Johnny personally, but his name always popped up in the media, and it continued to do so as he got into professional football. Those things carry on, you know. So uh, you have to really mold yourself into who you want to be as early as you can if you desire to play at the next level and stick around at the next level. Excellent, excellent advice. Obviously, yeah. I know nothing on that specific subject, but uh, all I can think, you know, I watch Ballers. I like The Rock, so, you know, I'm thinking it's just like <laughs> that on TV. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, no, it's, it's good because, I mean, all you're seeing as far as someone that's looking in on the glamorous side of it, and, you know, it is like a job, and it's great to have people like you guys that can kind of weigh in on stuff like that. Um, what any kind of last bits of advice as we wrap up here we have about 10 minutes left so um any last advice that you may have and it can be for either parents or kids at the high school level 
um, you know, that we might not have covered or talked about that you guys wanted to bring up uh, that could um, help out? Yeah, I want to talk about, like, the performance training aspect of it because I get asked about this all the time, and especially when I was working at a private facility, like, you know, you got um, everybody always wants their kids to be able to get that D1 scholarship in their sport that they love and, and, and be able to get that opportunity to get school paid for and, and then obviously have a chance to go pro. And the thing is, you have to not – I feel bad because a lot of these kids are getting burnt out because they're specializing at way too young of an age. Let kids play multiple sports, multiple sports. Mm-hmm. You're going to – at the end cause, because it will help them in the long run in uh, health-wise. Their, their, their muscles and joints and tendons and whatnot are going to develop and in, in a better way in the fact that they're, they're getting cross-trained in, when you're playing multiple sports. You know, play basketball, play football, play soccer, play baseball. Do, you know, just be active, you know, and, and in that regard, you're going to develop a better athlete than you're going to than, than a kid who just plays basketball year-round or a kid who just skates on the ice and plays hockey year-round or a kid that just plays travel baseball year-round. Um, those kids get burnt out. They get overuse injuries. And, you know, by the time they get to college, they're usually not um they're usually not healthy athletes and they're usually not able to, to get that scholarship because they're burnt out by then. Coach Ron, go ahead. I'm gonna let you speak on this. <laughs> I I I would agree with what Matt said. I think um a lot of times for parents or student athletes that are listening right now to just relax and, and enjoy their high school experience and you know, do what you can control, you know, get good grades, enjoy your high school career, be a good teammate, go out and enjoy your sport and compete. Um, and, and if you're good enough, you'll get recruited. Uh, you don't need to spend a ton of money on specialized websites or someone to, you know, you know, promote you or have some, you know, ideal with so many back-end seven-on-seven coaches or guys that claim they're helping kids get recruited. If you're good enough, we'll find you. You know, we get paid mm-hmm. lots of money to recruit guys. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to find the best athletes. But, um, you know, Matt, Matt hit it right on the head. There's there's too many parents that are making their kids, you know, play year-round one sport and, you know, their arms fall off or their legs fall off or they end up hating mm-hmm. the sport, you know, Mm-hmm. Enjoy the high school experience, and if you're good enough, we'll find you. And you know, if you're doing all the right things, it'll work out. It's not, you know, guys like LeBron James or Jeremy Kelly or Matt King. Guess what? They came out of the womb a Division One athlete. It, it, it's ninety-five percent genetics. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. So, some people don't want to admit that, but you know, Division One athletes are Division One athletes. They're different. Um, so, you know, you, you're not going to – you can't will a Division One athlete. So you, you got to just – it is what it is sometimes. Don't don't force your kid or don't 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 kill yourself trying to be something you're not. Yep. I'll actually uh, weigh in. And, and, and Ron, um, yeah, I, I was – I was blessed a little bit, but I'm going to – I'm going to take it back a little bit. Uh, I wasn't – I wouldn't have been a Division One athlete if it wasn't for – uh, somebody that was in my life, the amount of time that uh, I was afforded to train with a former professional athlete. Uh, I was always a very good athlete, don't get me wrong, uh, and I was, you know, blessed to grow to be 6'6 and so forth, but um, I really would have just been a tall, gangly kid who was kind of athletic, but would never have received a scholarship if I didn't receive specialized training. Um, and I think a lot of kids that I see nowadays who are athletic enough to be division one athletes, but they're under trained. Um, so the kids who are out there, if you can get access to going and doing the extra work and doing some things, if you desire to do so, do it. Don't just uh, settle for your high school weight programs. You can't just clock in when you're at school with your team. You have to do the extra work outside um, because not everybody is gifted like that. Um, but the ones that are, yeah, they're going to get the premier look, and that's what it is. Uh, so I would say that I would say that if you do desire to do so, you have to put the time in, you have to put the work in, and that'll start in high school. Um, yeah, that would be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and it's different for for different sports. For football, for example, there's a you know high school football. It's a big thing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. High school softball, not that much of a big thing if you're not from the South or like California. So mm-hmm. if you're in a if you're in a sport uh, that's an outdoor sport that's not like football, and and you're trying to get recruited, softball height. I mean, you have to be a absolutely phenomenal softball player in high school to even be looked at by like a D3 or D2 school. And I don't know how it is now, but because it's such a short season in high school. Um, it, and a lot of the college coaches for the softball side of things, they are recruiting you off of your summer teams and your summer recruiting camps that you go to. Um, very rarely mm-hmm. have I seen just a high school student, and I'm talking northeast. I'm talking like where it snows mm-hmm. and you can't be outside all year round to show your skills. Uh, if you're in the northeast part of the country and you're playing a sport like softball, like field hockey, you really want to be on a team that does play year-round and that travels. Um, yeah, that's a great and point. And there are, there, there are recruiting camps in the area if you don't have the means, you know, whether it be financial or time. You know, my parents lived – we lived in a hotel all summer. You know, I was fortunate to have parents that were able to help me travel, and we literally – we were, we'd be in Oklahoma one day, Texas the next day, and then Colorado, and we, we never were home. And it's a really big commitment for certain sports to try to get recruited. You really have to love it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of each season, because I played all year round, my parents would sit me down and say, do you want to do this? Are we forcing you mm-hmm. to do this, or do you want to do this? Because I gave up a huge social life in high school to do what I did. It was worth it. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I want to do this. I want to get a Division One scholarship. This is what I want to do. And they said, okay, we'll keep you doing it. But it was always a mm-hmm. question. You know, it was never like you have to do this. You are getting that scholarship. You really have to. And most of the girls that I know, it was the same deal. Uh, they really loved what they did. And, of course, it's different for every sport. Some sports you're fortunate enough to just be awesome in high school, get noticed, and that's enough, um, you know, in addition to, to camps and stuff. But on the female side of things, what also helped me from a young age is I started lifting at the age of 15, 16 years old, I actually lifted with my high school football team with our um, speed and athletic coaches at our high school. So I was in the gym. I was one of two girls that would lift in the gym in the mornings at 5 o'clock in the morning with the high school football team, and I didn't give a shit. Um, we all supported each other, and that's where everything really started for me. So if you're if you're a female in high school looking to get better, I would say get in the weight room and get used to being with a bunch of guys, um, and and definitely do more because once you get to that division one, even division two and division three levels, you're going to be weightlifting. And if you could go in there with knowledge, it makes it a hell of a lot easier than starting from scratch when you're 19 years old. So, kind of advice on the female side since we've been talking about football the whole time. But uh, I'm definitely right with that. Yeah, I would say yes, I would I was just trying to chime in yeah. on that. Like the the whole performance side, that helps me out as a, as a strength coach. When a kid comes in and they know how to clean, they know how to squat, they know how to bench, they know how to do. You know, those are the, the three I call them the meat and potatoes of every program usually. And yes. you know, if you're if you're able to perform those athletic movements and you've trained, you know, done athletic like been to a private facility or worked with a strength coach, um, that helps the strength coach when you get to college and you're able to you know get on the fast track to. Uh, to, to get him bigger, faster, stronger, becoming a better athlete. It makes all the difference. I was going to touch on the fact. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Melinda. I was going to touch on the no, fact we that, got, that you brought no, the good. point we that you brought up. No, we got a minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say they have to, they have to take the approach that um, you're training to beat somebody that's in those other states, as you as you mentioned. If you're in the Northeast, you know, kids in Texas, kids in Cali are playing spring ball. They're doing these things. They get access to playing year-round. So you have to take the – you might be good in your area, but always keep in mind that there's somebody better than you, and you need to train for that. There is. There's always someone better. No matter how phenomenal you are, there's always someone better, and you are competing against that person <laughs> for for everything because uh, schools are, you know, like you guys mentioned earlier, schools are going everywhere, and there's e- much easier access to view kids from across the country than there was when we were back getting recruited, so – you know, um, I want to thank you guys all for being on and sharing your thoughts, and I'm so happy I could get you guys all on the show uh, because of the careers you have now and also because you all played at UMaine where I was. 
Um, so thank you guys so much. And uh, for anyone listening in, thank, I'm going to go ahead and post uh, links. And the, the, these guys, I'll be honest, aren't huge Facebook users, but um, I'll go ahead and post some of their information to my fitness page if you're looking to, to learn a little more about them. And uh, I can't wait to see what you guys do in 2016 with your careers and your sports. So thank you guys for being on with me today. Likewise, Melinda. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you. Talk to right you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.